Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we have Dr. Will Shaw. He's the founder of the popular golf website, Golf Insider UK, which heavily covers better ways to practice. Highly recommend going over to check that out. He's got some really like actual useful resources, not just uh, you know theories. He's also a PGA pro who works with players on their swings and their physical training. He teaches at Leeds Beckett University on sport biomechanics and skill acquisition, which means he specializes in the most optimal ways to practice. He has his master's in exercise science and his PhD in biomedical science. He knows a ton about practice, and that makes up the bulk of what we talk about. So he's obviously a really super smart guy. So if you're looking for ways to get the most out of your time at the course, this episode definitely covers that. And we also, of course, get into the link between practice and the mental game. This is the Mental Golf Show, so how can we not talk about the mental game? And this is part one of a two-part conversation with Dr. Shaw, so there is a lot of great info to be gained. Take notes, because I know this info can help you improve. All right, let's go and get into this conversation with Dr. Will Shaw. How would you introduce yourself to someone? You you get to a party or something, and and they say, "Hey, Will, what do you do? Yeah, what would you say? How would you start that conversation?" Yeah, it's a good question. So I'm a golf coach. Head up the golf at Exeter University, which is really good fun. Um, also run Golf Insider UK, which is a website looking at sort of golf performance. Um, have a an app called Break X Golf, which we might talk about later on. Um, and then I still like to dabble in science, so still do a little bit of lecturing, still do a little bit of publishing uh back it back in some some of it that i used to work on as well so complicated but i love what i do got it so how long have you been running the golf program at the university 18 months so i took over um i've just run sort of the second year so i took over sort of two yeah almost two years ago now um and it's it's not quite up with sort of a texas nm style program but um we're trying to make it the best in europe so it's 150 golfers we've got six teams that compete each week and we've got a high performance program where, where we sort of offer holistic training okay. uh, for guys and girls that are you know plus handicappers really trying to become elite amateurs or or make it on tour so what what all is involved in that kind of holistic program what what all do you address in that yeah it's a good question i took over from harry scott who's now uh, head of golf for the czech republic so there's a really solid program in place where we're we had sort of uh, weekly skills training. Um, we had S&C a couple of times a week. We had a functional prehab session ran by ex-England physio Andy Lamore. Um, and we had a, a great psych program run by Jerry Fox. Um, so we had a great basis uh, for that. And then we, we compete as you, as, as you have over in the States as well. Um, so what I've done really, I suppose, is taken that program and then think sort of how can we improve it? What, what can we, how can we make it better? So a few things, really. Uh, we added an order of merit series. We, we get exposure to playing really top golf courses. Uh, we've got stats systems. We've got up game stats in there as well, which is super handy. And we can start to rank players, see where they are against each other. Um, and then that allows me to actually sit down with players and start to look at, okay, uh, where should you be spending your time? Uh, let's build your practice plan. Um, what's working well? What are some strengths that you can keep developing? And what's some weaknesses that we can maybe hope to improve as well? Uh, so that's it. We're always trying to make it better. I'm planning for next year already. Um, as always, it comes down to budget and resources, but 
we've got some supporters and uh, yeah, hopefully we're doing a good job. Good, good. So do you, do you see something normal or common out of those players that, wow, everyone seems to struggle in this area or, or something more common than the next thing? Yeah, I just had a really interesting chat yesterday with our, our site, Jerry. Um, I think people are a product of their systems and processes. So we kind of reflected on who we thought was a good fit culturally for the program. And, and then we kind of aligned that with where they finished up. And there was a sort of surprising overlap with those that we thought were doing the right things and behaving in the right way. And those actually got a lot better through the year. And, and then you know we had another batch that kind of got stagnant and not necessarily regressed, but didn't move on. So, yeah, with well, a broad stroke, that is it really, isn't it? Uh, getting, golf, getting good at golf is tough. Um, but if you keep doing the right things week in, week out, what right means is something we can hopefully talk about. Uh, you, you should hopefully make progress. So the the kind of differentiating differentiating factor is players just working in the right way, putting in the actual correct quality. Would you say that quality in in, in your what you've seen would would rank higher than quantity? I think you need both when you get to plus and you're trying to move forward, but you don't need as much as what most people think. I think you and I know, I know you're a very good golfer as well, so I'd be interested to hear your experience at the end of this. Uh, getting better at golf is tough, and it's very tricky to sort of see when you're swimming through the water yourself. And you kind of need someone to go, look, look at this number. Okay, this is what's happening. How are we going to improve it? Right, go do that. Go do that. And, and then it almost helps to be really dumb and just follow those commands as much as you can. Uh, but but we know it, that it, it's, it's easy to say. It's very tricky to do. So... Have you got any experience from you no. were a, a great college golfer, weren't you? Yeah, I, I played uh, Division One college golf and then con- continued to try to get good enough to turn pro. I never turned pro, but I I would say that I got good enough. And you're, I I actually really resonate with the way you just described that. Was um, you're you're in it trying to do it. A coach tells you no, 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 this or do this. And then just be dumb. I actually think that's a really, really good way to put it. It, it's, um, I've never heard it phrased like that, but it's, it's basically, you tell me what to do, and I will just do it. And you're the expert at knowing how to practice, so I will be the expert at executing that plan. I think that's exactly right. So is that is the the players that seem to do best are the one are not the dumber players, but the the ones that put their head down and just do. Is that what you see? yeah i think so i think you've got to have time where you sit down and you, re- you reflect and you really think about your golf game um so, so i sit down with players and we look through the numbers you know we look at their goals we look at what's working what isn't working and then that should be your your i've heard it described as worry time that's your worry time and then okay you're not allowed to worry about whether you're doing it right for another four weeks just just go practice and that's one of the challenges at Exeter. you've got to be so clever to get in academically we've got to recruit great golfers who are really academically clever um and then of a, of a you know of a good level and want to want to come and sort of compete uh and yeah i think that's a tough mix to, to try and get right but that's that's the best way in theory and then life happens Always yeah wrong. of course of course i like that <laughs> I like that worry time where uh, the the way I I phrase it before is um, 
there's times to be perfectionistic and then there's times to just apply and and that could be that's probably a different conversation where you're talking in practice be perfectionistic and when you're playing just apply but when you're what you're discussing is when you're planning how to get better that's when you worry right and that's when you um as opposed to when you're actually practicing right and that's when yeah. you say okay i've done the worrying i've done the prep for what i need to practice now i'm just mm -hmm. gonna practice now i'm gonna put my head down and just do the plan is that pretty accurate yeah i think that's spot on yeah, yeah. spot on and the feedback loop's quite long in terms of learning so you kind of have to have your head down and just work at it for four to six weeks and then assess so i think that's that's key for any any elite players listening that would be my advice yeah it's really easy to say four to six golf balls and then i'll reassess right as opposed to four <laughs> to six weeks that for for a lot of players that's an eternity so i think it that's is. that's really yeah. wise yeah 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 nice. so on the other end where we're talking about these are these this is what the best players do they they get advice on how to practice properly from an expert coach what do the what do the other players do some what do golfers who practice and actually put in that time but aren't getting better what's causing that what's causing that wheel spinning yeah, I wrote this tonight. It's one of the the prep questions for yeah. this interview, and then I thought, oh, it's quite intrigued me. That one, I don't know, don't know why I didn't put that down. Yeah, you set um, yourself up for a think, tough one. <laughs> I think the framework I I use is I remember years ago being in a pro shop, uh, and this this twelve handicapper I won't name him walked in really angry because I've been practicing for four weeks now and I haven't got any better, and, and then stormed out the shop. He kind of didn't want an answer. I wasn't coaching him. And, and it just really resonated with me that people expect to practice and then expect to get better, which I suppose maybe we kind of just take for granted, but I think that's wrong. Um, and, and I think the framework to sort of look at for, for this is uh, rather than I'll practice so I'll get better is why should you get better when you practice? So, so learning is really expensive. As we know from a, a psychological perspective, when you learn a new skill, there's neurological adaptations there's physiological ad adaptations that occur that's really costly for the body to make those changes so it has to have a really good reason to do it and you look at why you learn any task you learn to walk you learn to do anything to a certain level you kind of get to a point where you get good enough to solve the task in front of you so i've not got any better at walking from the age of 18 to 37 i don't think because i haven't needed to so i think when you take that framework and you apply that to practice it, it's well you're going to get very specific adaptations of it, like the gym from practice. So if you go to the gym and you do bicep curls, your legs aren't going to get any bigger. And it's sort of the same to think about practice. What specifically are you doing over and over again? And what changes are you expecting? And I think that's where golfers get it wrong, is, is they don't really think through, why would I get better based on what I'm calling practice? Hmm. so that, that's sort of the fun way that i look at practice and try and think is it effective that's interesting okay so you're you get better at the things that you're spending your time on because because you you put yourself in this difficult task and you, your your brain says i need to improve i need to learn because this is hard is that am i on the right path there 
Yeah, pretty much. Let's give some examples. I think that's, that's always useful. So if we start with, say, like someone who's got a big slice and, you know, we can have the technical aspect of, okay, their, their club face is open to their swing path, a uh, lot of curvature in the air, they're missing it right. They'll kind of go to the range and they'll keep trying to square up that club face. And that's kind of good, but you're kind of, you're not giving your body clear enough feedback on what you're trying to do. So the simple change is you just create a fairway, which is 20, 30 yards wide. And you say, right, I get three points if I hit the fairway. I get minus one if I miss it left. I get minus three if I miss it right. What's the best score I can shoot? Now, that's sort of one way where straight away you change the constraints of practice so that you're punishing your, yourself if you hit that horrible slice right. I think that combined with the technical information, you need to know what you're trying to do, is a far superior way of practice. And you go, oh, okay. Right, I hit 20 balls, minus 27. That's my first score. I'm, I'm terrible. I suck. Right, can I go and have minus 21 next time? Can I, can I keep moving it forward? And it's those sort of simple adaptations that then give yourself clear feedback on whether you're doing the right thing in practice. Would, would, you, um, would you suggest a player working on their technique separate from doing that task or, or, or um, game? Yeah, yeah. Or at the same time. Yes. So, so at a simple level, I think uh, I've got this perfect. I kind of look back at why when I was trying to become a golf player, yeah. similar to you, I got really good at putting and chipping, and I, I was terrible at my iron plane driving. And there was technical reasons, but actually, when I look at my practice and what I did, there was there was definitely issues in practice as well. Um, so, I think I've looked at it as if you're trying to get good at golf, you kind of got three broad buckets of practice, which is technical practice. You you don't, don't care where the golf ball goes. You're just trying to make technical changes in your swing to start off with. And actually, if you can remove where you care where the golf ball goes, that may speed up with the technical changes. And just like speaking to Sasha last week, um, mm-hmm. it's a deterministic game. So technique does matter. Um, you've got to have time on that. And then you've got second part of practice, which would be skill development practice. And for me, that is solve the problem in front of you. So here's a point scoring scenario that really represents scoring on the golf course and and it should represent the shots and it should represent how punishing i suppose your bad shots are if you can and in that type of practice yeah have a swing cue you know think about what you need to do i don't think you need to just focus on the target only but you, you should care far less about your movement and far more about solving the problem at hand and that would be and that game of, that, that game yeah, that you just described would fit into that one yeah yeah, yeah. so that's what we do with all the players um, that's what, what we tr- try to build with the new app is just like go do some technical stuff and then um, here's some skill based stuff and, and try and separate it now, you and I know you kind of go to the range and I, I hit like two three hooks with the driver and straight away you want to dive back into what's going on uh, but as best as possible I think if you can have more of a focus on skill development and then more of a focus on technique and know what you're doing uh, that, that really accelerates learning and, and I think it makes practice more fun as well Right. Okay. So you, you said technical practice, skill development practice. Was there a third bucket that you mentioned? Yes. I think a third one. And I'm interested in your thoughts here because you're the, you're the proper psych. I do modes control and bits, but, um, I didn't think there's some sort of pressure practice Mm. where the way I sort of structure pressure practice over the years with players is have it so that there's a challenge, which is, um, Mm. quite hard and we're expecting failure and putting yourself in the stressful situations and then trying to practice the coping mechanisms that go along with that 
I can give a polling example if you want. With, with Please. That. So one of my favorites is three, six, nine feet. You just one club length, two club length, three club length. You're going to level two balls, um, high level five balls. And if you hold them all from the first place, you move back to six feet. If you hold them all from six feet, you move back to nine feet. If you miss, you start again. I think there's two critical things that players can learn from doing this is when you get back to nine feet and you've got that fourth and fifth ball, you suddenly think, oh my God, okay, right, I've got to get this in. And you get that tiny representation of what it feels like when you're in competition. Now you can kind of assess the thoughts and feelings that occur um, during that, but from a technical perspective as well, where do you miss? I, I kind of know if I did that at the moment, I'd push it right. Mm. Now we can try and improve our coping mechanisms and our thought process, but actually, as good golfers we know that if you know you're going to miss it a little bit right aim left <laughs> when you're in a press situations so i think those sort of types of practice are really useful just for helping the player uh, perform uh when it counts yeah you, I, have you done something like that or what's your thoughts on that you you must have had a, a lot of experience down the street yeah so that's um that your your three buckets are i i also have three that are in my mind and yours i i like yours they're um they're a slight spin. I, I obviously, uh, the three terms that I've heard or used is block, random, and challenge. And block okay. would be technical practice, right? Where you're, I don't really care about where the ball's going. I'm just working on my, my physical technical move, right? And I don't even need to be hitting a ball. Back to Sasha, the way he was saying, sometimes it helps to not be hitting a ball because you're just learning a movement pattern. So that would be technical. And then... The next one, random, would be I'm essentially just going through the golf course, right? I'm I'm grabbing a driver, I'm grabbing a seven iron, I'm grabbing a wedge, and going through my full routine, and and that is just a simple. The the most important factor there for me would be you are learning to adapt quickly to club changes and and as as much variability as there can be on a driving range. And then challenge would be kind of uh, a combo of the last two that you said, where you said skill development and pressure practice. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. so challenge practice would be, I'm giving myself a task that could be difficult or it could be simple. And there's some failure involved and there's a little bit of pressure. But I, I like your skill development practice as a way to present a task that you need to complete where you get punished or rewarded for bad or, or good for doing the movement or not doing the movement. And, and as, as that task has the, um, side effect of creating a better movement pattern, is that kind of, am I along the right lines? Yeah, no, you are. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the way I look at it is like your technical practice gets you into like ballpark where should the club be moving? You know, what should be happening? And then we've got those sort of idiosyncratic moves that we all make and ways yeah. that we actually learn to do it. Um, and I think that's where you kind of have to switch off and let your subconscious just trying to work out how on earth yeah. you're going to get it and score. And also you have times where you do skill development practice and, and you suck. You're awful that day. And it's just, well, okay, I've got to find a way to, you know, make, make a score today. That's what happens on the golf course. You turn up and you're just hitting it horribly and yeah. you just got to find a way to get around. So yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So uh, have you heard the term 
self-organizing or when yeah yeah okay maybe explain that to to me or to the listeners what does that mean and how does that play into what we're talking about yeah yeah so it's quite interesting because teaching motor control which is sort of this this science about how we control movement you have all of these different perspectives just sort of like a, a cognitive perspective which looks at it from one way um, you have like a, a perceptual perspective, which is sort of another way. And then you have like a, a, a so I suppose, a more of a biomechanical uh, way. And they kind of all look at it from a different way and they all talk about self-organization. So it can get quite complicated. But mm. at, a, at a simple level, what it essentially sort of says is that um, we're kind of machines, if you want to call us that, our brain is going around solving problems and it just kind of finds solutions to do it. Uh, and for ages, we we're, were trying to look at, well, what's the perfect solution? And actually, what it comes out with is maybe for some movements, there aren't perfect solutions. There's sort of multiple similar solutions, which is called motor equivalence. So when we try and evaluate technique, it becomes quite tough. Uh, but what we can say is that there's certainly deterministic factors if we build a robot, but that may not necessarily apply to humans uh, per se. So we, I think you look at tour these days and you see so many different goal swings and so many different goal swings that work well. Uh, uh, and that is the fact of what we call self-organization. If we've got everyone to swing like a textbook from the 1990s, early 2000s, would they be a better golfer? No, it'd be worse. But as golfers, we, we still are searching for certain aspects of our swings um, that we think are going to improve us. So it's a tough battle, isn't it? Yeah. What's, where have you come from this? Because I'm guessing when you grew up, it was quite technical. Now do you yeah. feel that coaching sort of transitioning and allowing more self-organization? Absolutely. It, it It's definitely shifted from you need to swing like this to, okay, how how does your body swing its best? And my I was I was fortunate to find a coach that that didn't immediately say, okay, you're not swinging the way I see the swing. And you need to swing just like this. I was fortunate. He said, he he does this with all of his players. Okay, you're swinging the way that you're swinging right now and you're hitting lots of hooks. Okay, well, there's not one thing that makes all hooks go away. For you, this is what will help you hit it straighter. And and it's very um, individualistic. And th- there's definitely been a shift ter- towards that, but I'm I'm sure that there's still many instructors out there that that say no, this is the way the swing should be, and um, if you can't swing like this, then you'll never be as good as you can as you could be. So yeah, I, I, I assume I think- you teach in a more individualistic way, or or help players and encourage them that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I've had some great chats. There's a guy Connor Black who's a pro that I've, I've done a few uh, chats with. He's awesome. He's he's I think he's just off the, like, the Corn Ferry tour and, and playing okay. a couple of mini tours. But I think when we're having the, a chat about this and the way I'd kind of view it is a track man and, and launch wants to be so useful. So what we can be very clear on is um, there's an objective reason your golf ball flies the way it does. Physics, physics wise, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's sort of very deterministic, and we can be clear on that. Then, when we move back into the golf swing, um, we're getting better. And there's certain principles that are there. The old days used to be about positions. Now, positions don't hit a golf ball; forces do. 
So you look at the work Sasha's doing, you look at Scott Cowax and some of the work, we've got a much better understanding of, okay, well, what forces are acting on the club at certain points and how is that going to impact as we come into impact um, and through the golf ball? Um, so I think the way I work is, right, what's the outcome? Where's the player hitting it? So we can be very clear on that. What's the ball flight that's causing that? Okay, what are the impact factors that are causing that? And then it's discussion with the player. So with plus players, it's okay, you've got your club face a little bit shut. It could weaken your grip, but you play great with this strong grip. So are we, we going to look for a little bit more rotation in your backswing or are we just going to try and hold it off more? What about your ball position? What should we do there? And how is this going to work with irons? How is it going to work with wedges, driver? Do you feel comfortable on the golf course doing this? Now, it's quite tricky because when you're a coach, you can often feel vulnerable by going, I don't have the perfect answer. Mm. Uh, but I'm being honest, there's there's three or four different things we could change here. I, I probably have an opinion on what might work well, but right. that player's got to feel comfortable and trust it as well. So that's the way I work. Mm. I don't think I'm an elite coach. I think I'm okay at what I do, but I'm always trying to get better. So that's, that's sure. where I'm at the moment, Josh, and asking yeah. another five years yeah. might have another answer. That's good. I, I, would, I would latch on to someone like you that says, I'm you know, a more, hum I have a more humble approach to, I know everything, right? I don't know everything. I'm, I, I'm at where I'm at, but I'm also learning as I go and I'm trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to communicate with this player to make them as good as they can not, okay, let's, how can I get everyone to agree with me? Right. That's not, yeah. that's probably not a long-term great solution to help everyone get as good as they can be. So you, you feel like you are a, you know, uh, curiosity would be a driving factor for you to, to improve the way that you coach and improve the way that you help others is more of a, I'm still learning. And as I'm learning, I'm hoping that it will help you learn better. Yeah. I think when you look at some of the players on tour and how they swing it, would you say this is how they're going to play their golf 10 years before they're there? No, you know, so you're, you're trying to help that player on that journey. And then you give them information and then they go practice and what comes back is this kind of melding of everything that's gone on. And if it's effective, great. Uh, but there's a tricky balance because, you know, it, as we say, it, it still forces applied to a golf ball that move it. So there, there's a strong biomechanical underpinning. Uh, but then as soon as you throw in human movement, stuff gets weird. Mm. It's really weird. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So on, on a subject of kind of splitting up your practice, you know, how should I spend my time doing this, that, and the other on a broad level? If someone said, I have 10 hours this week to spend time, um, at a golf course, right? Not, not strength and conditioning, not meditation at home, not, um, you know, relaxing time at home, whatever it's, I, I will be at the golf course for 10 hours. How should I spend my time? Do you have a, a kind of one-size-fits-all answer for that kind of question? No, but I think some key concepts that people can take away. So first off, you're gonna, if you're going to spend 10 hours at a golf course, spend five minutes doing your stats because that five minutes pretty doing small your stats amount, but valuable, gives you right? a huge amount of insight. It stops you wasting eight hours. Uh, so as soon as you do your stats, and I think there's two things. Strokes, strokes gain data is great, but actually if you're, if you're just an average golfer, just putting greens hit, fairways hit, parts up and downs it's not perfect it's a long way off perfect but it gives you some insight the extra level i would say on that is directional information so just putting like a little cross 
dots around like each side of the fairway or, or around the green, you quickly build up a pattern of, oh, okay, I thought I was hooking it off the tee, but I was worried about that and I kept missing everything right. Mm. Now that's super insightful. So I think the strokes gained or, or, or the outcome metric tells you what, and then the directional information tells you sort of how to practice, how should you sort of shape your practice around that. That'll be the first big thing. The second big thing is when people say I've got 10 hours at the golf course, I want to practice for 10 hours, they can often only fit six hours of practice into that time. So that'd be the second learning from writing a lot of practice plans yeah. and watching people put in data to build practice plans as well. I really overestimate it. And then I think it it does depend on the player, the time uh, and other aspects. But I would say that you're, you're there for 10 hours. You could probably get six done. Um, what's what's the area of weakness and what's one thing you're going to try and improve? So if that's short putting, spend some extra time on short putting, whether it's three, six, nine feet, um, technical stuff, uh, round the clock, those types of games. Mm-hmm. Maybe one bit of technique, one bit of skill development. Uh, the next thing is I'd look at, if you do have time, what's, what's another core area? Maybe it's, it's wedge play. Maybe spend a bit of time on wedge play. Um, and then what's your strength? What's something that's already strong and you want to make it awesome? because we know confidence is very important and normally the strength of your game is what keeps everything together so you've got to keep moving that forward and try and turn it into a a superpower Mm. Um, and then i would say make sure we get out on the golf course Mm. your golf isn't played on the range the value of the range or or the practice ground is you get huge amount of volume the challenge is it's not very specific in terms of scoring on the golf course so you then need to get on the golf course and actually have some time trying to play golf Mm. say yeah i i so think, don't know if that's helpful absolutely and and yeah. and the 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 moral of the story is that five minute stat review and you know not just the raw data but also the where that it, where did i actually hit the ball that five minutes needs to determine the nine hours and 55 minutes left over and Spot then on. obviously yeah. you won't get all of that time in because you're chit chatting, you're walking around, you're doing whatever, you're tying your shoes. Like you're not actually going to get 10 hours out, but yeah. everyone needs to be different. Every player needs to be different. There is no one size fits all. Every player is at a different stage in their own development, right? Yeah. But if you look at the basics of golf, you've got to hit the ball down there, ideally a long way and find it. So you don't have to be in play, but you have to find it then you need to be able to hit the green. Um, if you miss the green, you need to go up and down, and then you need to be able to hold putts. So it's are you covering those core basics each week? Um, it's interesting because from a stats point of view, you'd say it's pointless practicing three-footers because you know, they make zero difference when you look at strokes gain on tour. But actually, I think that very stable structured environment can give you really clear feedback and, and help you become a better putter from 6 to 12, 15 feet, which is critical in terms of separating strokes gained onto a putting. So it, it's there are a lot of nuances with it, but at the basic level, yeah, what's golf about? Are you practicing those skills? Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, practicing your three-footers translates to everything else because if I can do this and it goes right in the center of the hole, and it's rolling end over end exactly how I want in a very repeatable manner, I could probably take this further back. Is that the idea? Yeah, I think so. I think there's too much noise when you get to 10 feet. It depends what the greens are like. So there's actually some benefit in practicing a, a, a three-foot putt or four or five-foot putt over and over again. Even if there's 
if from a stats perspective, you'd say isn't important. So right. yeah, there are some sort of slight nuances around it. But I see. I think also with players, you should kind of build these core habits. What what for you makes you feel like you're ready to play core, key great golf? So for me, it, it normally is hammering a load of putts from three to twelve feet, making sure I can hit my wedges close, and then can I get my drive on the planet? Mm-hmm. And if I can do those things and I practice those things, I kind of feel like I'm going to turn up and play okay. Sure. Uh, yeah. There's a lot more I wish I could do, but yeah, that's that right. So those is kind of what keeps me going. And when you when you mentioned earlier, you've got your strengths, and it's important to turn your strengths into being really awesome at them. Is that kind of what mm-hmm. you're getting at? Because you said your putting and your your wedges are your strength. Sure. Okay. Putting and short game, I wouldn't say wedges. So, okay. so yeah, normally back in the day I could putt and I'd get up and down from everywhere, but I was useless tee to green. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the the method that's worked for me. So yeah, work out those core skills and fit those in. So if you were if you were taking the five minute stat uh, review for yourself and you said, okay, this is how I need to spend my time. It, and you said it would be putting, it would be short putting from three to twelve feet. It would be making sure I can get up and down and get the dry, get my driver on the planet. What would you do? Let Let's take your driver for instance, and maybe someone can relate to this because I. I know, and other people know, there are times when you cannot, you feel like you can't get the driver on the planet. What would you do to address that? That's a great question. Going to the range after this, Josh. Yeah. Uh, so I think, again, it's it's breaking it down. For me, if we break it down, what technically do I need to work on? So straight away, I need to know, am I missing my drives? Left, right, is it a contact issue? So I played on, I've been injured for months. So I played mm. on Saturday against some of our, our students it was great but as i was healing every drive okay um and so it's a contact issue so it's okay well what do i need to do so yeah try and coach myself as best i can check my posture check my balance see see if there's anything there so i spend probably 20 minutes tonight just going right why is it coming out the heel what do i need to change technically to do that um and then what i do i do that with a couple of different clubs and then i'd probably just play skills game where uh, for me, I, I like hard practice, so I'd give myself like a 10-yard fairway, uh, and I'd either, we've got that game earlier that we we, we said where you get the, the points from either, either side, um, or I could just see how many in a row can I hit through that 10-yard gap. And so if I hit three in a row and then miss one, it's like, okay, right, three's my best score. Mm. Go at it again and see if I can get to five. And, and, and those for me, uh, you've got those performance accomplishments, which are part of uh, building self-efficacy. You can kind of then take that in, onto the golf course and go, okay, I know I hit five in a row down a 10-yard fairway, so now I've got a 30-yard fairway. I should feel more confident about doing it. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Will. I really loved talking about how to optimize practice, and I can't wait to release part two of our conversation, so stay tuned for that. And as I always mention at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and education purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I highly encourage you to talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it and you'd like to work one-on-one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with players all over the world on improving their minds so they can improve their performance on the course. I also work with players on designing practice schedules because it's something that I 
went through myself and had to uh, optimize for myself to get the most out of my time so that I could get as good as possible as fast as possible. So it's something that I do with my players. So if you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. I've got some spots open. They definitely not that not uh, an abundance of spots. So um, definitely reach out to me if you'd like to uh, work with me one-on-one. All right. Thanks again to everyone for listening to this podcast, whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, which some of you have and still stay in touch with me. So it's awesome. I really appreciate the community that we've built. If you've enjoyed this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I would love it if you shared this episode with a friend. Okay. Thanks for listening to the Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I'll catch you guys next time. Mm -hmm.